This is the Wine Beat Podcast, and this episode is about rosé. It's an interview with Tom Schreckinger. Tom is the director of communications for what is probably the premier rosé wine producer in the world, Chateau d'Esclan. Fair warning, I recorded this over Skype while we were traveling in France. We were in Provence doing some wine touring with friends. We were having an awesome time, but I didn't have the best sound recording equipment with me, and as a result, the sound quality is a bit dodgy. Anyway, Tom was so gracious to make himself available that I, I really want to publish this episode I promise in the future I'll carry better sound recording equipment with me. But send me an email with your comments uh, on the on the episode and on the sound quality. I'd love to hear from you and, and hear your feedback. There's a ton of great information in this podcast. You'll hear about the larger-than-life character that built Chateau d'Esclan, Sasha Lachine, and also about his father, Alexis Lachine, who is a legendary figure in the wine world both in France and the United States. So there's some good history here. Tom's going to take us through some of the rosé winemaking techniques used at Disclan. You'll get a window into the very innovative and intensive winemaking that they've uh, they've created and has allowed them to shift the, the rosé wine market in a significant, significant way. Now, we only scratched the surface on what rosé is all about, so... If you're interested and like to hear more about wine technology, rosé winemaking, and the wider world of rosé wine, have a listen to the companion podcast that I've put together uh, and that I call The Fun and Relentless Upward Trajectory of Rosé Wine. I think it's a great title. Don't mind saying so. One more introductory note and we'll get going with the interview. You'll hear about five rosé products from Chateau d'Esclan. Four of them are premium and super premium price wines, including the iconic Whispering Angel and Rock Angel wines. But in keeping with our mission here at the Wine Beat, which is to sleuth out killer wines at great prices, watch out for the rollout of their new product, Palm Bay by Whispering Angel. We had a chance to try it at the Chateau, and it's definitely worth looking out for. It's great wine. Okay. Now here, apologies again for the sound quality, is my chat with Tom Schreckinger. I'm here with Tom Schreckinger, the Director of Communications for Chateau d'Esclan, home of Whispering Angel Rosé. Tom, it's exciting to be here and having a chance to talk with you. How are you today? Thank you, Craig. Very well. Well, it's again, such a treat to be able to talk with you. And um, Tom, I visited Chateau d'Esclan just a couple of days ago. And after trying the wines on site, I've been so impressed with the uh, both the quality, the superb quality of the wines, but also the state-of-the-art technology. It's super, very interesting tour. Um, thank you to your assistant, Laura Bouclier, and, uh, and, and also for the opportunity to taste the wines. It was fantastic. The other thing I want to mention as an introduction, Tom, is I really enjoyed your website. I would refer anybody to the Chateau d'Esclan website. It's um, very stylish, very hip, uh, and also very informational and educational. There's some great videos, some great um, videos posted in within the website that show some of the wine making techniques, including uh, the blending and some of the work you do to control temperature, which is, I think, as I understand, very important in rosé winemaking. Um, and maybe we'll get a chance to come back to that. But love the website, so um, uh, I would refer all of our listeners to the to the Chateau d'Esclan website. Thank you. We, we try to make it accessible and open-ended and easy to navigate, and, uh, certainly entertaining as well as informative. 
Yeah, no, it's 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 very nice and very hip and, and kind of sexy. It's a great website. Okay, well, listen, um, I appreciate you've got limited time, and I again, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. But I think one of the best ways to tackle um, a discussion about Chateau d'Esclan is to talk about the personalities behind it. I think to me that seems integral. Do, do you mind if I throw it over to you to talk about Sasha Lachine, Patrick Leon? The men behind the bottle, um, Sasha is actually the son of a force in the 20th century wine world, a man by the name of Alexis Lachine, who uh, is still extremely well-known, spoken of in wine circles. And um, essentially, Mr. Lachine was the owner of Chateau Prieure Lachine in the Medoc. And this is where Sasha grew up, in addition to New York City, where he had bowed his time between both places because Alexis um, owned the chateau, had a shipping company, but an importing firm. He had a label, Alexis Machine Selections. He wrote among the first credible and authoritative encyclopedias on wines and spirits. And um, essentially, Sasha, being his only son, learned a tremendous amount in a hyper-focused way from his father, Alexis. And um, going beyond that uh, through his formative years, which were pretty much um, being born in the 60s, growing up in the 70s, and into the 80s when he started to work, at the end of that decade, uh, Mr. Lachine Sr. passed on in 1989, in fact, and at that point, um, Sasha continued with ownership and oversight of the Priore. At the end of the 20th century, when Sasha made a conscientious but difficult decision to sell the Priore, um, he left and did some entrepreneurial things in the wine business, but wanted to one day acquire a rose vineyard in Provence. And he knew of Chateau d'Esclon for some time, thought of it as a sleeping giant because as you saw, Craig, when you came to visit, it is a beautiful property, idyllically situated in the heart of Provence. And by 2005 or so, he was able to pull everything together necessary in order to acquire it. And then in 2006, which was his first vintage, he began making all four rosés that he still produces today which encompass Whispering Angel, Chateau d'Espoir, Rock Angel, Declan, and Galus. And all of these rosés are quite distinctive. And the man with whom he partners, or initially partnered, um, but still does, um, to help articulate the vision he had for this range is a gentleman named Patrick Leon. Now, yes, Tom. Sorry to interrupt, but that's quite a that's quite a change in tack from uh, uh, running the chateau, uh, inheriting the chateau in Bordeaux, uh, but then moving and focusing on rosé in Provence. That is a that is an unconventional change. What what was um, what was what was Mr. Lachine's passion in making that big change? Well, I think he felt as he had gone as far as he could in Bordeaux. Um, there were other, you know, circumstances surrounding the situation that from a business perspective made sense for him to 
do what he did when he did it. But he also felt um, that there were other things to do in the world of fine wine. And rosé, he felt, was uh, a category that had hardly been exploited. Um, it was rather lackluster. There was probably only one go-to global brand um, outside of France uh, called Domaine Ott, which still exists, and that is a venerable brand. Yes. But um, in 2006, this was the moment um, when he was able, Patrick Leon, who I began to speak about, um, went forward to reinvigorate the category with this range of four rosés. And Patrick's pedigree is amazing. He um, not only worked for Sasha's father um, for a number of years, but spent the bulk of his career, well over two decades, working for the Rothschilds, holding yeah. many different important positions in winemaking and enology. His CV, his CV is truly, truly impressive with uh, Chateau Rothschild. Oh, yeah. He's an amazing man. And uh, in fact, his son Bertrand, the third person behind uh, the brand is our technical director, and they work closely with our cellar master, Jean-Claude Neu, and um, essentially it's just a dynamic foursome. Um, everyone has their own talents. Uh, they complement one another. Nobody gets in the way of each other, and it's just a really good um, central team to all of this. Sasha, the visionary, the marketing genius, the person who came up with the idea, Patrick, who has articulated his vision with pinpoint precision, Bertrand, um, Patrick's son, who is very good and very technically focused, and Jean-Claude, who actually was at the domain before Sasha acquired it in 2006, uh, just very familiar with it and has um, evolved tremendously um, over the decades since he's been here. And thanks for the, the, the description of those gentlemen, and, and that really um, helps us understand the, the genesis of Chateau Lisclan, I think. You can't talk about Disclan without talking about the momentum of rosé as a segment, as a wine market segment. People are uh, engaging with rosé much more. Uh, and I'm certainly someone who's a booster for rosé wine. I, I love rosé wine myself. I think it can be a very serious wine. It's certainly wonderful when it's balanced and uh, when you can gather together the freshness and the perfumes and the fruits and the acidity that come with well-made rosé. Um, it's it's a it's a terrific it's a terrific wine when it's made well. What I'm trying to do here is segue into the philosophy of Chateau d'Esclan. The style approach, your considerations on quality that are that are driving the wines that you're making. Right. I think that uh, to build on what you just said, Craig, Sasha had this vision to make rosé grand. Um, again, it had this uh, rather lackluster profile, being cheap and cheerful, and Whispering Angel is classic Cote de Provence Rosé with an amazing name that resonates enormously with um, its consumer base. And even people who come upon it and discover it for the first time. But 
if you look at the estate bottled wines, which include Chateau d'Espoir, Rock Angel, Lake Juan, and Carus, you get into, as I mentioned before, that super premium realm and wines that are more complex and structured, more food-driven, and therefore wines that give consumers a lot of different things or, or ways through which they can enjoy and consume these wines um, with all kinds of different foods. Uh, you talked about the acidity um, of rosé in general, and that certainly helps make it food compatible. Two styles that we you make rosé with here, the first of which is being completely stainless steel fermented in the case of Whispering Angel. And insofar as uh, Lake Juan and Garus are concerned, as they are completely oak, um, rock is half stainless steel fermented and half oak fermented. So you, in a sense, get the best of both worlds with that wine. Um, this being said, it lends itself very nicely to being um, an aperitif wine, which is what Whispering's about. But then again, because it's more complex and structured through the way it's crafted, it does have broader consumption possibilities uh, by a food pairing. Yeah, nice description, and I think that that encapsulates. <laughs> well, you're the, you're the expert, so. <laughs> uh, but I think that encapsulates my thinking about rosé wine. Um, you can have a rosé wine, which is an aperitif wine, which uh, which you can um, happily happily drink by the swimming pool or on a hot summer day on the deck. Uh, and you can have rosé wines, which are um, somewhere between that and having with dinner. And then you can have rosé wines, which are best when they're paired with food. Um, and that's the fun of rosé, and that's the excitement of the segment. Sasha likes to say it starts white and finishes red. And I've always been fascinated by that. And I'm not totally sure if he's referring, well, I, I am sure, so I shouldn't say that I'm not. But he is referring more to the Lake Lawn or the Garus because, again, there is a certain lightness to it. But then again, when consumed with food, and I'm not talking about whispering so much, um, you just are experiencing rosé that bears this bizarre disconnect between these particular wines and, and, and rosé at large. Well, let's talk a little bit about rosé and the technology that's involved and the the particular ways that rosé wines are made because rosés are very unique in 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 both their style and their aromas and their flavors but also in the way that they're made there's there's techniques that are required to make a very very good rosé um, some of the key quality parameters, if I can put it that way, of rosé are uh, the, the, the special color, and the color can range from a very light uh, pink or very light uh, salmon to quite a, quite a dark uh, uh, pink color. Um, the perfume and aroma, the fruits and the floral attributes are so important uh, when you're having a rosé. Um, these particular attributes come from the way the wine is made. 
It has to do with skin contact time, um, and it has to do with temperature control and some other, and of course the type of grape and some other attributes. Um, can I ask you to just talk about from a uh, from a winemaking perspective, not the pure technology, because I'd like to come back to that. It's very fascinating when we talk about Chateau d'Esclan, about the, 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 the technological aspects. But just generally from a winemaking perspective, how, uh, and you can tell me if I've got some of that completely wrong, but, um, you know, how, how those elements work. Um, spot on, in fact, uh, you know, temperature control is critical. And... We've invested lots of money in um, cooling systems, uh, our pressing techniques, which essentially uh, produce well over 90% of free run juice that goes into the wines we make, uh, will guarantee that without much skin contact, you will achieve that pale color. Uh, this, of course, coupled with the refrigeration systems. And um, of the, the pressing techniques, you have three grades that basically evolve over a three-hour period. So for the first hour, press one, uh, which is called the jus de goutte, the taste of the juice, it's a very light press. And that's the initial press during which there is skin contact. But within that first hour, let's say it, approximately the 30-minute point, the skins will come off the fruit. The grape, for lack of a better way of putting it, will be naked or skinless, and the juice will run off the naked grape. And the second press, which is called the curdola press, or the heart of the press, a little more intense, is 100% pre-run. And the third press, which is the most severe, is also 100% free-run juice. And as these juices come out and get allocated into their decanting tanks to settle, which is the preliminary step uh, before fermentation, uh, they will then leave those decanting tanks and go to their destination tanks or barrels. And from there, they will get co-fermented uh, based on grape variety, based on press grade, and what the winemakers will begin to do as the tanks and barrels are getting filled <clears throat> during our harvest, which takes place in September, is to extract juices from those vessels, for lack of a better way of putting it, and they will begin to isolate these different juices and mix and match and start to lay the groundwork for the assemblage or the blending. The ultimate blending, for example, with Whispering Angel, which is the first out of the box, we start bottling it in early December of the same year that, you know, it starts to get produced. Um, that procedure will take place between Patrick Leon, Sasha Lachine, and the other gentlemen whose names I mentioned. And they'll end up with a couple of hundred different juices. Um, they'll have their matrixes out at a big table, um, space for notes. They'll all taste and by committee decide how to blend based on the different juices that they're considering the upcoming vintage for, again, in December, Whispering Angel. Uh, then after the beginning of the year, Rock Angel, which gets bottled in March. And then last week, for example, they just did 
the 2017 vintages, or vintage rather, of Lequan and Garus, which will get bottled in July. So and that's... that staggered period of time is just based on the length of fermentation. So, for example, Whispering is the shortest. It's stainless steel fermented. Even though there are multiple bottlings that take place and comprise different lots, the first out is three months or so after the grapes land in the cellars with rock at six months, uh, half in stainless, half in, in, in oak, and with Lake Long and Garus, 100% respectively in oak for 10 months. So hopefully that's clear, Craig, but that's, that's pretty much you know, a, a, an overlay of the process. You know, you've covered, you've covered uh, a few topics which are, which are very important for a rosé lover to understand. One of them is starting with that skin contact time and and how long, because we are talking about red grapes um, that are left in... Reddish-grayish. Reddish-grayish. Okay, so we let's Most just... Most of which are Grenache, incidentally. Yeah, you yeah. Have, the, the wines are all over half um, Grenache in their, their sapage or, or, or grape mix. And then you always have Dermentino or Roll, uh, the white grape. And then there are other grapes varieties like Syrah um, or Tiboren, which generally go into the rosés. Perfect. That's that's super helpful. So um, grape varieties, uh, mostly red, um, and um, generally in the in the Côte de Provence or in in Provence, uh, uh, Grenache is the number one grape for making rosé. And skin contact time is so important because the longer the juice is in contact with the skin, the more color that's going to be extracted, the more tannin that's going to be extracted, the, the closer you're going to get to something that's like a dark rosé or getting almost to a red wine. Sure, like a Tavel, for example. Right, a Tavel from uh, Doron. Right, good one. Um, and, then, and then you went on to talk about um, the... Uh, among other things, you talked about the time uh, between the completion of fermentation and bottling. And there's a lot there in terms of the aging. Uh, in the case of Whispering Angel, if I've got it correct, it's completely stainless steel. Yes. Uh, whereas uh, Rock Angel and Garus have, um, have some combination of stainless steel and uh, oak. No, just, just rock. Okay, it's, okay. It's half stainless, half oak. Lake Thorn and Garus, the two prestige cuvées, um, are 100% oak. Okay. And, and that is so important because of the characteristics that uh, stainless steel will typically leave you with a fresher, steelier, uh, since it's stainless steel, I guess that's maybe not the best word, but anyway, a, a crisper kind of wine, whereas oak will lend those characteristics that oak will lend to a wine and you get softness and roundness and, and some, some other uh, complexity uh, characteristics. And then the, uh, the other thing you touched upon, and can, I'd like to come back and give you a chance to talk about it a bit more, is temperature control um, during the... What, can, is it okay if I ask you about temperature control all the way through the picking, crushing, fermentation process? Sure. Um, for the estate bottled wines, all of the grapes that go into them will come off the various parcels on the property, which you saw, 
and that picking will be taking place by hand early in the morning, beginning at around 6, when our pickers or harvesters arrive, and they will start essentially selecting and, and picking grapes. And um, the difference between the way those grapes were treated and um, the mechanically harvested grapes is that the mechanically harvested grapes will arrive in these large tanks that are pulled down by tractor trailers and the hand-picked grapes in small 10 kilo cartons, which the French call cagettes. And um, again, as the hours during which this harvesting takes place in both scenarios is a time during which the heat of the day can be avoided, um, that's one aspect to temperature control in a natural sense. When they enter the cellars and go through the sorting systems, they will initially end up in a serpentine cooling mechanism uh, once they've been selected and gone through this optical eye process, which um, pretty much ensures that we're bringing in the best quality fruit to make the best possible wine. And that system pushes the grapes through uh, with compressed air, uh, lasting for about a 30-minute period during which the temperature will go down from maybe 20 degrees centigrade seven or eight degrees, then they'll have freshness and vivacity locked into them, the grapes will, and be ready to go into pressing. And the pressing, as I described before, in the three different phases, the three different grades of presses, will begin to take place. And it should be mentioned, uh, this doesn't necessarily relate, Craig, to um, the coolness or, or maintaining temperature control, but of those juices, Typically, the first press will always go into Garousse and sometimes Le Clans. The second press, sometimes Le Clans and Chateau d'Escon Rock Angel. The third press, almost exclusive for Whispering Angel. However, they will co-ferment and, um, you know, bring together these different juices um, as the winemaking process unfolds. It's really quite complex and fascinating uh, and I'm, I'm kind of going through it from an armchair perspective, but to see this process take place and, and go through the cellars as you had a chance to, it, it might have been a little more brief than you would have liked, is just amazing because it's a true eye-opener to see and understand how we make rosé here and, and take such a technologically advanced approach to doing it. Oh, I love the... Finally, uh... I love the in-barrel cooling uh, from a yeah, wine geek I was about perspective. To get to that. <laughs> that is what I wanted to mention. Finally, each in-barrel cooling mechanism is individualized. You saw that, um, and essentially, it's a cylindric metallic coil that's capped off at the end. And once the barrels, which are 600 liters in size, they're called demi-moids in French, French oak. Um, we keep them for up to three years, light to medium toasted. Um, these cylindric coils will get lowered into the barrels and the capped off end will touch the bottom of the barrel. And what's inside these cylindric coils is, is glycol and cold water. And that will sort of radiate and permeate the temperature of all the juice inside a respective barrel. The temperature is controlled via computerization from the cellar master's office upstairs. And, of course, the temperature is being monitored at the time, so they can tell what temperature 
the juice in a specific barrel is, what the temperature is in another barrel, and if they want to bring it up a notch or down a notch, they can do that. And um, this goes on throughout the fermentation period. They do a batonnage twice a week, which is a Burgundian approach and pretty much unheard of, as is oak fermenting for producing rosé. But um, it's a signature characteristic to what we do here with our our top-end wines. And um, it really helped um, hold Sasha Lachine's reputation at the outset when in 2006 he proclaimed, I'm making the world's greatest and most expensive rosé. And people in the wine world who knew him but did not know Chateau d'Esquan from anything, and they also knew Patrick Leon, they said, well, how are you doing that? And everything started to get explained and fell into place. We were pretty aggressive with um, letting the wine media know initially and then it just sort of branched out into lifestyle and general interest and someone such as yourself has come along and we're doing a podcast here and uh, it's uh, a great story that's been told many times through many different uh, means and categories and of, of media, if you will. So um, it's never stops being newsworthy and noteworthy because people are constantly discovering it. And, and Rosé is in an age of discovery. It's just been explosive worldwide and particularly in, in the United States and North America and select pockets throughout the world that lend themselves to the Rosé lifestyle. So we're definitely on a roll. For the, for the wine geeks, uh, I would certainly refer them to the website and the videos. Uh, there's a lot to learn from thinking about the fermentation in the stainless steel uh, vessels, the large stainless steel vessels, and then seeing those barrels, your commitment to barrel fermentation is, is, is really astounding to me because barrel oh, fermentation sure. is not easy and, um, and you're bringing this unique technology to it. So it's really, really interesting for a, for a wine geek. You mentioned batonnage, which if I can call it lees stirring, I think uh, that's, yes. that's so important for people to understand that in, this, in, in this, these wines, I, I guess particularly if, I'm, if I've got it right, the, uh, the rock angel and the garouth, uh, then you're, 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 you're doing some lees stirring or bear, uh, batonnage to um, bring the lees, the yeast lees and the other components that are settled in the barrels, you're stirring those or, or um, mixing those a little bit to bring the roundness and the body that and and the complexity that those lees will bring, which is to me really amazing in a rosé wine. There's a lot there. There's there's just a lot of really cool stuff happening from a winemaking perspective. Very much so, and you know it, it reminds me, Robert Parker, the great Robert Parker in 1989, and I've got to find this again. It was published in the Oxford Companion to Wine by um, Hugh Johnson and Jancis Robinson. There was this piece in which he referred to uh, producers beginning to experiment with oak and um, thinking that it had a bright future. That was back in 1989, and not a whole lot happened between that year and 2006 when Sasha started. And he was the one who crawled out on the limb and began to uh, practice this more broadly than any other rosé producer. Um, 
So again, a signature characteristic to what we do and um, very noteworthy and people of your caliber and, you know, hardcore winemakers, sometimes they will visit our cellars and they'll see what you did the other day and say that they've never seen anything like this. It was Patrick who had developed, you know, from existing equipment, this cooling system, and then retrofitted it, for lack of a better way of putting it, into the barrels. It's all quite expensive. The barrels themselves, which we keep for up to three years, cost a fair amount of money. And, um, of course, the electric bills are off the charts because that's all about air conditioning and cooling. Um, you probably realize it gets extremely hot and prolonged during the summer months. And uh, Yeah, it's already 29 degrees. Time. It's already 29 degrees here, and we're, uh, we're still in late April. Absolutely. It can get ridiculously warm in February even. Not always, but um, so all of that, it, it required a big, big investment. And there have been so many incredible phases of expansion uh, because Sasha's first vintage saw 130,000 bottles, and that was back in 2006, and today he's made over 6 million. So the growth is just phenomenal. Yeah, but um, the demand is there. Our trading partners, being importers and distributors, really um, are committed to representing our brand. And again, the United States, which represents a significant portion of the business, is, is playing a, a big role in all of this. Well, and Canada's growing beautifully as well, as I mentioned to you. Yeah, and I hope my podcast has a broader reach than just Canada and the United States, but I think one of the keys to uh, thinking about Chateau d'Esclan is uh, for North American customers, this is something they can find on the shelves. Um, that Look, that, that has been such a fascinating insight, um, and I, I don't want to take more of your time than, than is necessary. If there's anything else you'd like to talk about, I'm going to throw the floor open to you. Um, and then I'm going to ask you, I know you've got a new product coming out. You, you may or may not want to talk about it, but it's going to be very interesting to my listeners. But is there anything that we haven't talked about that you'd like to touch on? Well, um, I think we've covered off a fair amount, and, and I know that you're going to be supplementing our discussion with what you know we've directed you toward. But um, it's amazing just to think that this was – something Sasha wanted to try and it was a roll of the dice but a lot of people who knew him back then and still do um, felt that he was brimming with confidence and knew what he wanted to do and when you're building a brand obviously it's not easy and he had so many corners to turn and so many hoops to jump through. And it really wasn't until he was able to ratchet up his production, particularly for Whispering Angel, which is the big brand, that um, you know things weren't at a level where you could really note that the proof of concept had fallen into place. So... It didn't come easily, but he was extremely persistent, and he never strayed from his vision, and um, he really hit the ball out of the park. Um, probably 
within four to five years after starting the project. And um, today our market share is is quite remarkable. Um, the other part to what you just brought up, uh, being a new rosé that we're launching, uh, if I can just continue chatting, it, it's called Palm, and this is a Coto Dex. It is not produced at Cobb Desclon, which is our sellers here at Chateau Desclon Domain Sasha Machine, but is a wine that is produced um, from four different sources in the Coteau Dex, which is another sub-region within Provence. And um, it's a very youthful and contemporary package, which you're more than welcome to uh, show because we do have it online and, and you okay, saw good, the bottle good. and the label design. Yes, and I had a chance to try it at the winery and was very impressed. It was a really, Absolutely. very, it's it's a fantastic approachable uh, rosé, good product. And it's something Sasha wanted to do for a long time. And to have something that was positioned a little beneath Whispering Angel, because Whispering Angel is in the premiumized, premiumized space. And it really is, is, is a wine that's taken on a life by itself. But we call it the Palm by Whispering Angel. Palm trees connote um, peaceful, harmonious places where these type of trees grow. And those are places that do lend themselves to rosé consumption. Um, in the U.S., Whispering Angel's current suggested retail price is $22.99. Palm um, is $14.99. We're rolling it out in very select um, top markets, um, such as New York, Florida, and California, mostly on-premise in year one, meaning um, in places that serve rosé by the glass, and just making it a very fun, social, accessible, and affordable rosé. It's the love child of Whispering Angel, Craig. <laughs> okay. Thank you for that great description. And we've really hit the nail on the head, I think, in terms of uh, what I'm trying to portray on the wine beat. The idea of uh, visionary winemakers, hardworking winemakers, uh, challenging the markets with new products. And uh, certainly uh, Chateau Desclan has been doing that since 2006, if I've got the year correct. Um, but, but bringing it home for, for my listeners, I think with this product, the palm, um, I did try it, uh, in the winery and a uh, bit of a bootleg, I guess, cause it's not really available in France, but we were able to try it in the, in the winery. thought it was terrific. Um, so I don't mind raving a little bit about your wines generally and the palm in particular Really fantastic stuff. I encourage people to not only try the wines, but uh, if you're in the uh, Nice-Cannes region or if you're in Provence, uh, to try to get up to Chateau d'Esclan because it's a, it's a beautiful facility. And uh, you pour a generous glass of tasting wine, by the way. We really liked that. Uh, and uh, and also the there's a nice tour... Um, uh, whether it's Laura, the very charming Laura Bouclier, or somebody else who does the tour, it's a very, it's a, it's a great tour. Fantastic to see, to see the the technology and to understand the winemaking. Absolutely. Well, thank you for the good words. Okay. Well, I think um, I can only uh, say thank you again and 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 wrap this up. Um, there will be um, 
references in the show notes for this program on the website. There'll be links to the um, Chateau d'Esclan website so people can go and see some of the great videos and some of the, uh, the, the other content. Very groovy, uh, cool website. And um, there'll be some pictures. Um, I think, uh, I believe Laura, when we were in the winery, said that we would be able to download some of the photos from the website. So if that works well, um, we will have some uh, photos from the, the winery and uh, some photos of the, the, the wine bottles themselves. I, I think we'll, we can sign off with that, Tom, unless you have some other thoughts. No, I think I've talked more than I should, but um, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share all of this with you, Craig, and um, terrific. It's been a great pleasure, and I'm, I'm so pleased you made it here and, and happy that we had this chance to chat. Oh, thank you so much, Tom. Thanks for your time. It was a real pleasure to chat with you. I hope we get a chance to talk again soon. I too, Craig. Um, looking forward to keeping in touch and all the best. Okay. Thanks again. Thanks from the Wine Beat and from all of our listeners, Tom. Bye-bye now. Terrific. Bye-bye. Thanks. So long.